too. I went last night to the, um, to the Sizzling Summer Nights. How many know what I'm talking about? Really cool. It is, it, it's, like, it's, like a, uh, it's like a car museum, um, outside, beautiful night, no charge. It's great. I loved it. My wife and I were, I like old cars. We were walking around and and an observation that I made with, uh, with so many of the cars. Now, there's everything from, I think the oldest was a 1920-something, all the way up to modern-era cars, and, uh, and everything in between, or a lot of things in between. Uh, those that are older cars, they almost all of them, there were a few that were in original condition, uh, there were a few that were unrestored, but um, the, the, the thing that most of the older cars have in common is that somebody <laughs> took the time to pull them out of a barn or out of a shed or out of someone's garage or they pulled it out of a tree line or they took it out from behind a building and they dismantled it and they, they fixed it up. They did the body work. They did the engine work. They did the interior. And, and uh, basically one word that they did is they restored those vehicles. Somebody took the time and they saw something in that wreck, that dilapidated old car. They saw something that perhaps no one else did and they said, I want to be a part of restoring that vehicle. That's what people who work on old cars do. For some weeks, we have been looking at the face-to-face -face encounters that people had with Jesus. The face-to-face -face encounters that people had with Jesus. They were, they were personal encounters where people were transformed. They were transformed. In, in Jesus' presence, there were people, and this is the 12th in this, and, and final in this series. And so we've looked at really 12 different scenarios. And, and, and in those in those face-to-face -face encounters, people were healed, and they were delivered, and they were raised from the dead, and they were encouraged, and they were redirected. I mean, they were people who were absolutely transformed. We, we, we sang about that this morning. He's the way maker, the miracle worker, the light in the darkness. Jesus did that with these people. This face-to-face -face encounter in Luke chapter 22 that we're going to look at in just a moment was none of those things. It wasn't a healing, a delivering, an encouraging, or a redirecting. In fact, this face-to-face -face encounter was absolutely, it's not an understatement, it was absolutely horrible. Here's the backstory. Hours earlier, at the Last Supper, we're going to, at the close of this service, be remembering that and taking part in that. But hours earlier, at the Last Supper, Jesus was preparing his disciples for something big. Jesus knew that, that he would soon be arrested, and Jesus knew he would soon be falsely accused, and Jesus also knew that in the hours ahead, he would be crucified on a cross. He knew this. He knew this was going to happen, but he also knew what his disciples would do through this. 
In fact, he knew that one of them would betray him. After their meal, Jesus said this in verse 21 of Luke 22, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Now, Jesus was essentially saying he's here. The, the person who is going to betray me is right here at this table. And Jesus knew that that person was, was Judas, one of his disciples. But Peter, another disciple, Peter, who, by the way, was the, uh, the disciple who, who was almost always the first to speak. The, the word Peter uh, actually means a small rock, but uh, if you didn't know that, you would think Peter is Greek for sticking your foot in your mouth, because <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what Peter often did. He was often the first one to speak, and he said this in verse 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death, right? So just imagine this scene. Jesus said, uh, the person who's going to betray me is here at this table. And Peter says, Lord, I, I will never betray you. I will never leave you. I will not, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. In Matthew's gospel, Peter records that he also said this. <laughs> he said this, and, and Matthew, who was at the table, recorded it. Matthew records that he also said, Lord, even if all of these others leave you, not me. <laughs> Which must have endeared him to all of the others, right? Thanks a lot. <laughs> they, they didn't even have buses then, but he just threw all of them under the bus. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter was this disciple who always tried so hard to get it right, but so often got it wrong. Don't raise your hands, but, but how many here have, have felt, boy, you, you've tried to get it right. You, you want to do the right thing. You want to say the right thing, but, but so often you find yourself, instead of getting it right, you get it so wrong. That, that was Peter. We can relate to Peter I think more than any of the other disciples, in part because there's more recorded about Peter than the other disciples, but also because we see his humanity and we see how we kind of do the same thing. That was Peter. But again, Jesus knew what Peter didn't know. Jesus replied, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. It's all happening around that table. And so it was. Hours later, they're in a different place. Hours later, out of fear and self-preservation, Jesus is already been brutalized to some degree. He's in this mockery of a trial. And three times, again, maybe out of fear or self-preservation, Peter said he didn't know Jesus, hadn't been with Jesus, and had no connection to Jesus. Three times. And verse 60 says this, just as Peter was speaking, as he said it, the rooster crowed. Hours before what Jesus said would happen, just happened. 
And then verse 61 tells us, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. I want you to imagine that scene in your mind. Jesus, again, is some distance. He's face to face. He's some distance away. Jesus is surrounded by those who are brutalizing him. Peter is is off on the side, on the periphery. He's observing this, but as soon as the the cock crowed, upon the third denial that Peter ever knew Jesus, the cock crows, Jesus lifts his head, turns to look at Peter, Peter looks at Jesus, and though it's some distance apart, they're face to face. I told you, this face-to-face encounter is unlike any other. Jesus' thoughts and feelings are not recorded. It doesn't say what went through his mind. So I want to be careful here. It's always a dangerous thing when you project what Jesus was feeling or thinking but it had to hurt, right? It had to hurt. Peter had been with Jesus on some of the most monumental times of, his earthly, of Jesus' earthly ministry. Peter was one of those first called. He was a fisherman. Jesus and Peter remembered when Jesus called him. Uh, uh, the, the first miracle of healing was Peter's mother-in-law. Peter was there to help distribute food that had been miraculously multiplied for multitudes, not once, but on two different occasions. Peter, along with two other disciples, was on a mountain when the Bible says Jesus was transfigured. He took on a different appearance and he began speaking with people that had been sent from heaven briefly down to earth to interact with him. Peter had been there when he heard God speak to Jesus. He had been through all of these things and so much more, and now three times in rapid succession, Peter says, I don't know who he is. I have nothing to do with him. I have no connection with him. The cock crows, and they meet face to face. You think that that didn't hurt Jesus? Have you ever ever walked a journey with someone? You've been close, and then all of a sudden they... Act as if they don't know you? You ever had that? Maybe you understand a little bit of what Jesus felt in that. Jesus is God, but he's also man, and it had to hurt. Jesus was not not, uh, unfeeling. He felt deeply. Part of what Peter felt in that moment is recorded. Verse 61 continues. Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. It came to him immediately. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. The next line it says, and Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I think that's an understatement. He wept bitterly. You see that moment when, when, when he, 
He, he hears the, the cock crow. Jesus hears the cock crow. Their eyes meet. They're face to face. Beginning with that moment and in the hours and in the few, few days that followed, those moments, those hours, those few days, that, that face to face moment and the hours that followed must have been indescribably dark. It had to be dark. They, they had to be so dark as almost to defy description or imagination. How many times did, did Peter, in the hours following, I doubt that he slept, how many times in the hours following did he replay that moment in his mind? How many times did he see that image of Jesus looking at him face to face? Those few days must have been so dark. I, I, I am absolutely sure they were the absolute most difficult moments and hours of his life. They were the low point. Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, succumbed to that same kind of a darkness and the Bible records that he took his life. And I wonder, I don't know for sure, but I wonder if Peter in the hours that followed, considered the same. Now, now let me just pause in the, in the narrative, in the, con, in the text for a moment, and just bring it to you and I. Have you ever been in a place where through a choice of yours, or perhaps a choice of another person, and you're in such a dark, dark place, that you've been tempted to do something that you wouldn't have otherwise done. Still today, today, wrong choices, ours or others, can have terrible and surprisingly painful consequences. I mean, I know that there are some here this morning who have been and perhaps are experiencing some of the most troubling moments of your life you rem- the circumstances are different, but you remember how dark that can be. Dark and hopeless places. You ever despaired like that? Have you ever been in such a place of despair like that? Wondering if you could ever find your way back. Wondering if you could, this could ever be fixed. Wondering if you could ever be restored. You ever been there? Or are you there? Again, pausing in the text. Sometime before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, sometime before that, I forget exactly where they were, but the disciples would have been there. Other people would have been there. And Jesus told stories about restoration. Some of them you may remember. One story that he told, we call them parables. It means a story with a, with a very important godly point. One of the stories that Jesus told was about a lost sheep. How there were a hundred sheep. Uh, Ninety-nine were safe in, in an enclosure, but one had strayed off. And Jesus told how the good shepherd went and found 
that one sheep and brought them back, restored them back in with the others. Another story, not too long after that, that Jesus told was about a lost son. We sometimes refer to it as the prodigal son. And in that story, there's a son who made wrong choices, got to that place of despair and hopelessness and brokenness. But at the end of the story, he's restored to his father. Jesus had told these stories. Jesus had already been speaking. Before this, Jesus had been speaking about restoration and how this is how his father operates. This is why Jesus came, because Jesus is really into restoration. And I wonder if Peter thought about, in those hours that followed, did Peter make the connection? Did Peter, did it occur to him that that in that dark time, Peter, that he was the lost sheep. Did, did it occur to him that maybe he was the lost son? Well, I'm skipping over some really important things. <laughs> Fast forward some hours ahead, actually a few days ahead. The Bible tells us Jesus was raised from the dead. Come on, I'm going to say it again. I'm going to give you one more chance. Jesus was raised from the dead. Glory to God. See, the resurrection changed everything, didn't it? The resurrection changed everything. He, He made all the difference. His life, the fact that Jesus was alive changed everything. And and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm fast forwarding through some things here, but an angel, shortly after the resurrection, an angel standing in the empty tomb told some women about Jesus' resurrection and gave these instructions, go tell Jesus, excuse me, go tell, go tell uh, Jesus' disciples and Peter that Jesus is alive. Go tell his disciples and Peter. You see, God wanted Jesus' disciples to know, but especially God wanted Peter to know, because I think Peter needed to know it the most. He needed to know, and and that right there, that statement, actually the resurrection started it, but that statement marked the beginning of Peter's restoration. It marked the beginning of his restoration. Short time later, in fact, I think it was later on that day, um, a Sunday evening. Peter and other dis- disciples were in a, in a room locked away, and, and they saw Jesus again face to face. He was there, and they see him face to face. He shows them his scarred hands, his scarred body. A, a week later, Jesus again appeared to them. Jesus, Peter, and the, and the, the rest of the disciples, uh, he appears again to them face to face. And later still, In John chapter 21, Jesus and the disciples, it says, were at the Sea of Galilee. Peter was there. Peter was there. Peter had not succumbed to the darkness. Peter had not given in to the despair. Peter was there with Jesus and the other disciples around the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible tells us that three times, that number is not not coincidental, (laughs) three times... 
Jesus asked Peter if Peter loved Jesus. And three times, some have said, for every time that he denied knowing him, Jesus gave him the chance to say, I love you. Three times, Peter said, I love you. Agape love, by the way. I love you. Three times he said this. Three times Jesus instructed Peter to care for his followers, to feed and to tend his sheep. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus take the time, uh, even beyond all of the other disciples, why did Jesus take the time with this disciple, with this one who had, who had not once or twice but thrice had denied knowing Jesus? Why did he take the time? Because Peter needed to know that Jesus was not done with him. Let me say that again. Peter needed to know that Jesus was not done with him, that there was a way back, that there is a means of restoration. And sometimes we need to be reminded that Jesus is not done with us. See, here's, here's something that I never know, I can't know, I'm not supposed to know. It's not important that I know, but I, I don't know what some of you are going through. But the very fact that you're here today or you're watching or you're listening to this later on, the reason that you're receiving this message is that you need to be reminded. There's someone here, there's someone listening that needs to be reminded that Jesus is not done with you. Hear me. Hear me. I don't know what has happened. I don't know what you've done, how many times you've done it. I, it it, it, I don't need to know, but I know this, that Jesus is not done with you. Let me say it again. Jesus is not done with you. You, you are not destined to remain or to be measured by your worst moment. That is not how you are going to be remembered that is not where he's going to leave you at your worst moment. I know there are people here, people listening, people watching, who can look back and say, how could I have done that, said that, gone there, thought whatever? How could I have done that? But I tell you that you do not need to stay in that place. That we serve a Lord who takes pleasure in restoring I mentioned that last night we went to look at old cars. I used, to, I, used to, I used to restore old cars, and I found such great pleasure in it. My wife was not pleased with it because it took up the garage. But I, I found such pleasure. I, so I scaled down and I started restoring motorcycles, and I restored uh, two cars and then three motorcycles. I found such pleasure in bring, bringing this piece of junk back to, to life. I found so much. And, and, and then I started doing furniture and it gets smaller. And now, now I restore old watches. Believe it or not, it's getting smaller. <laughs> Takes up less space. I find such pleasure in finding something that is of little value and restoring it to the point to where it's now a treasure. I find pleasure in that. Why do I share that? Because I want you to know that we serve a God who takes pleasure in restoration. Yeah. 
He delights in, in, in meeting you where you are and taking you. I mean, you are derelict. You are messed up. You're broken. You're flawed. Glory to God. He fixes us because of the cross. He is into restoration. Luke 24, at the very end of that gospel, it records one more face-to-face encounter Jesus had with his disciples. Peter among them. Luke 24, verses 50 and 51 tell us this. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Listen, folks, I am so glad that the last face-to-face encounter Jesus had with Peter and with all of the others was not one of shameful regret, but one where Jesus blessed people who had been restored. He is the one who restores. Now, in this very holy moment, in just a few moments, we're going to receive communion together. In this very holy moment, before we do that, before we remember the sacrifice that that paid the price for our restoration, before we do that, I just want to pray for you. I I, I ask that you would do this, that you would bow your heads, please, everyone across this, even if you're watching and just bow, you're at home, just bow your heads right now. And and, and I'm I'm going to ask you this, if if you, if you say, uh, you, you may not even know the Lord yet, but you're going to know the Lord here in a few moments. Or you may, there may be some area of brokenness and you say, I need restoration. I need some body work. I need, I need a total overhaul. I need Jesus to fix something that is broken within me. And I believe you, Pastor. I believe his word, more importantly, that he restores. And, and if there's anyone here this morning, I w- would you do this with your heads bowed? Would you just lift up your hands? And I just want to agree with you in prayer. Just lift up your hands right now. You say, man, there's something that needs restored. Glory to God. You are a great candidate. You are here for a purpose today. And that is, Jesus wants to tell you that this is not the end. Where you are is not where you are destined to remain. That place of brokenness that you're experiencing right now is not your lot in life. Jesus desires to bring you to a place where you are again face to face with him and he blesses you. He blesses you. Lord, right now, uh, across this sanctuary and, 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 and persons listening or watching online, Lord, I pray that you would meet them right where they are, right in that chair, right on that sofa, right listening to it as they drive the car, as they're in this room. I pray that right now you would meet them there and that you, the great one who restores, would restore again. That you would remind everyone who's in that place of despair or that place of brokenness that this is not where you desire to leave them, but you fix us, you bring us back, and we become something precious to you something valuable and useful to those around us because we will not remain at our worst place. You fix us. I pray you do that. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not yet begun following you, I just pray that they would pray this very simple prayer. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And today I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you from this day forward. I want to follow you. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please remain seated. Um, If you did not receive 
uh, a cup on your way in. Would you, would you, and you would like to, you do not need to be a member of Aberdeen First Assembly. This may be your first time here or your second or third time here. Uh, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him, we want to encourage you to partake. Is there anyone who would like to join us, who would like to partake, but does not have a cup? You all, you're all covered here? Is there anyone here? We'll get one to you in the balcony. Okay. Anyone else? Um, because of the present circumstances, we're not passing the emblems. Uh, we've never done this before, so just a word of instruction. There's two parts. Uh, there is a very fine, thin film on the top that's clear. Pull that back, and that will expose, expose the bread. And would you go ahead and take that in your hand? And let's... We're going to receive together this morning. I'm going to, I'm going to read and we're going to pray. This is very special for me. This is something that we, we do regularly here at AFA, but we haven't for some months. <laughs> I love communion. I love communion because it, it, there's a, it draws us together like no other time. We gather around his, the emblems of his body and his broken body and his shed blood. If you would hold that emblem in your hand. The Bible says that I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, in our hands we hold the emblem of your broken body. You allowed your body to be broken so that in our brokenness we could be healed. We remember that long ago event, but we also recall your present power. Lord, we do what you commanded us to do. We remember you and we thank you as we receive together. Let's take it together, please. You take the cup in your hand and hold it with one and peel that second layer back and hold it in your hand, please. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, you have not yet returned, but we know that you are returning. We don't know when. We pray it will be soon, but we pray that before that, Lord, we thank you and we remember the blood that you shed that forgives our sins. There's restoration in your blood. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blood that you shed on that, on that cross so long ago. Because in it, you, you gave us new life. You gave us eternal life. You paid the price for me, for our, our brokenness, our, our stupidity, our our bad decisions 
you're the one who makes us whole. You're the one who restores, and we remember you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the cup together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please, across this sanctuary? As always, these, uh, these altars are going to be open. We didn't sing a song, did we? Yeah. Let's sing it now. I forgot. They came up here. We're going to sing a song together. Hey, listen, folks. If I don't forget something every Sunday, it's just not Sunday, all right? Let's sing this together. Sing it along. share the message of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Bless us as we go into this harvest field. Use us for your glory. (laughs) Use us as agents of your restoring power. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, say amen.
God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. These altars are open.